0: Hello and welcome to the bits and trees podcast. I'm your host, Matt Machuga. And in this episode, I'm joined by Andre Henry systems engineer at Venmo. We discussed a wide array of topics ranging from learning basic principles, uh, ethics, Andre blowing up raspberry Pi's, and more, none of which were the intended topics for the show. We just kind of started recording and chatting. If you'd like to hear his introductions, please stick around till the end. That's about the only time I remembered to ask him. And for the intended discussion, please see next week's episode. This is Bits and Trees Podcast, episode
1: 11. Like in in crazy Andre, computer stuff. So I'm I'm building a little Raspberry Pi cluster that I intend to drop on a robot (laughs) and control it. (laughs) Listen, listen, (laughs) listen. (laughs) There's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the robot having more compute power than, than a lot of things, all right?
0: With the alarming amount of lasers in your house, I'm mildly
1: com- concerned about this. Yeah, I, I, One thing at a time. <laughs> so I wire everything up and I'm testing stuff. And some more parts came in and I'm like, shit, I don't want to have to worry about finding random power sources on the robot board. So I'm like, oh, if I could just find a power converter for the Raspberry Pi Zero, it'll like taking like, you know, the battery power, condition it, drop it down to five volt, and put it on there. So like I buy this power converter, slap it on the Pi, I'm testing everything with USB, it's working great. I'm like, all right, let's hook it up to the power converter. Hook up everything, turn it on. Huh, that's weird. Smell that burning. There's like smoke. There's like smoke coming out of two of the Raspberry Pi zeros. I'm like, why? Why? I did the right thing, right? Like, I did the right thing purchased boards specifically designed for this and it just fried my raspberry pi and i'm like i don't know why the board fried the raspberry pi the only thing i can figure is that when i looked in the manual because i thought i did something wrong when i looked in the manual there is like a little warning about inrush current like when the mm-hmm. pi first boots up it'll suck in something. And apparently this stupid board doesn't have like inrush current over 14, over 12 volts. So they're like, make sure you hook up everything properly before you turn the switch on, which I did because it was already (laughs) hooked up. And I'm like, you can't do that when you sell this thing to be able to handle like anywhere up to like 28 volts. I plug in 14, it shouldn't be smoking my pie. So that was like my week with stupid computers. So yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, fortunately they're affordable computers, but
1: still that's like sixty but bucks, still, seventy bucks. No, no. The, actually, it was the zero, of it, so it was only like five. Oh, okay. It was ten bucks, but still, right? Like a stupid thing like that. So I I, I replaced the the whole power system that I was using, and apparently they're like all these companies now on Amazon, they'll sell like USB chargers and they're from like questionable foreign manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much a metal tin with like a bunch of USB ports on it and a power converter on the inside. So I'll just power it through the USB port with one of those things. And this thing is a battery powered charger Mm -hmm. and it's tiny, it's like yay big. So I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. You know, Shenzhen exists for a reason. Yay!
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the uh, one of the ladies at my co working space, um, she sits right next to me. I was like, "Oh, can I plug in um, on this power adapter?" She said, "Yeah," and I plug mine right next to hers, and I hear. Zzz, zzz. <laughs> I'm staring at it. I'm like, what the hell was that? She said, oh, it does that all the time. It's normal. I'm like, that's not no! normal. No! no. And she reaches over and just grabs it and like moves it. I'm like, don't <gasps> touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> she's like, I haven't gotten zapped yet. I'm like, look, I will bring you a new charger. Yeah. It will not zap you. Just please, for the love of God, yeah. stop using that thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Your electricity should not buzz.
0: Yeah, right. It just shouldn't <laughs> buzz. If it's buzzing, stop touching it. Get away yes, from
1: it. Yes, yes. Uh, oh. A long time ago, before I moved to Pittsburgh, when I was still doing data center work, I was in the data center and we were hooking up an isolon distributed storage system. This was sort of like when I was in my medical imaging days, and the system was like this one was like four nodes, and each node, you know, had two power connectors, and we were using like. um apc smart power strips so there was one for the left rail and one for the right rail or a rail b rail and we plugged in and then we plugged into one of the outlets and when we plugged it plugged it in we heard like a and i'm like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh that can't be good because like this power thing is like running everything in the rack, right? Mm-hmm. So like and at the time, like dual power supplies were you had to pay extra. So not a lot of things, unless they were super critical, had them. But even the non-critical stuff like the switches, they're still critical. I mean, even like the, the other stuff like switches, like sure it didn't have dual power supply, but it was still a critical piece of gear. Because you know, we were all on budget. So it's like it's not like today where you've got like a billion dollars in startup money. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> I can buy a thousand dollar HP switch or a five hundred dollar HP switch that does the job, or I can buy a four thousand dollar HP switch just to get the extra power supply. And I'm like, well, four thousand dollars is a whole other server for me, right? Mm-hmm. So of course I'm like, nobody Touch this anymore don't hook anything up we're gonna have to do a maintenance and before the words finished coming out of my mouth like somebody jiggled the cable and it shorted out the whole unit and the rack just went down (laughs) just dark I was
2: like no no <laughs> gone <laughs> gone
0: yeah yeah oh so yeah. servers are great
1: yes yeah but you know what i think i think um i think the current generation of ops people that have come up in like a cloud native environment they're lucky like hey one of my first dates with nivia mm-hmm. One of my earlier dates with Nivea, we went to the data center, and I had to re-rack a Cisco router, and I couldn't manage it by myself. So I think I had her balance hit on her head. Oh, my God. Well, I quickly screwed it in. And I'm like like she held it and i held it and because she wasn't tall enough to get to the screws but she was tall enough to like <laughs> so she like stepped inside the rack and did like the atlas pose and
0: <laughs> well evidently this is a secret to a happy marriage um, apparently so first apparently date so. hold my server
1: yeah hold, hold my router yeah but um yeah so you know it's it's great like you know configuring infrastructure with an api and and all that stuff is is pretty cool um i like it i think i think one of the things that we have to be careful with is we still have to make sure we convey the knowledge that -hmm. there are computers and wires behind this right and i think like you know there's a certain time span where if you're working in this time span you get that Mm -hmm. and then i think after like a certain time frame i don't know maybe it's 2013 2014 2015 it starts becoming more and more abstract where people Mm -hmm. don't realize or even if they it's one thing to know that it's a computer but it's, it's one thing to like have that in your mind as you work every day where you're like, oh, I'm sending things to a real computer like AWS or Azure or Google isn't like this mythical thing mm-hmm. that's out there. Right. You're actually sending stuff to a real computer. And I, I think, you know, we would all be better off if we thought about that a little bit more, you know, especially it comes on to designing for failure. Yeah. and designing for resiliency, you know, cause anything can go wrong, mm-hmm. like, you know? So, yeah. I'm like, keeping I think, in
0: mind basic VPC peering or anything like that, when you keep in mind, it's probably jumping several machines or if you're not paying attention, it's jumping a data center.
1: Yeah, yeah, cause that's, I mean, it's, it's a software defined network, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's it's routers and switches they may all be controlled via software and API via the wonderful and also oh lovely Cisco command line interface that I miss dearly, but it's still doing the same thing. You know, your packets are going to go through a switch, they're going to hop into a router. And I think, you know, um, what, one interesting thing that happened was when uh, earlier fall, late summer, Amazon had a power outage in one of the AZs in US East and in the incident report they noted that one of the 10 data centers that consist of one of the availability zones and people were like what do you mean one of the 10 data centers like nobody realized that an AZ was that huge mm-hmm. Right, just like I'm talk. I didn't even. I'm like, oh, at AZ, it's probably just like a data center, or maybe two data centers side by side. Mm-hmm. But like when when we read this this incident report from Amazon, and they're like one of the ten, like our heads exploded because we're like, wait, I thought we did same AZ to minimize latency. Mm-hmm. But you're telling me that I can get – that that's multiple data centers? And it's like, what does that even mean now? Like, what do you think? Because, you know, you think you're designing and you have, yeah, I've got multiple AZ redundancy and da-da-da-da. But then you're like, oh, wait, what what does that even mean now, right? Because it's not like an AZ is a self-contained unit all in one physical space pace. So it's like, that was, that was interesting. And I, I I know on my team, a lot of us like, we had like discussions about that where we're like, wow. So you know, we just kind of like double down on our multi AZ multi region, everything, you know, because you're, you're right, you never know. And I think that's, that's super
2: important.
0: Right just like the sheer nature of all the stuff that is involved with like um, putting your infrastructure in someone else's hands these days is I find it very mesmerizing. And then when you, um, when you run into the thing where you're reaching uh, the upper limit of your, your VM quota with Amazon at the time, or like uh, a company that shall not be named that we work for ran out of VMs regularly on a different hosting provider. (laughs) Like, those are real things that can happen because there is a finite limit for what you can do.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. I, (laughs) I know things I can't talk about, but yeah, there are finite limits to, to things and it, it, it would benefit us all to like, sure. You could request a whole bunch of, machines. And and sure, you may get them, of course, you're going to pay for it. But that that doesn't run on forever, right? And I think, you know, optimization in the cloud space is, it's super important. And I think it not only is it important for money and cloud spend, right? Like, the quickest way to go bankrupt is not control your cloud spend, right? So the optimization is important for that. And it's also, I think, on on a more kind of philosophical, environmental, good for the environment level, you know, these things take energy as well, right? Mm -hmm. They run energy. They're not running on, like, clouds, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? It, it, It runs on energy, so you know when when you're when you're designing like cloud infra cloud architecture you should try to be as optimal as possible because somebody is paying that energy bill and that you and energy is getting generated from something burning fossil fuels most likely mm-hmm. right because I'm, I'm sure a lot of the data center providers are trying to use renewables but i think we've got a long way to go before we can say that everybody's cloud compute is powered by a renewable Right. You know, I, so I I think you know we should we should all optimize um, and 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 we'll, we'll all benefit. And just learning how computers work too is is super important. Uh, you know, Nivia, my wife, she's been diving into her Python and brushing up on her 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 tech skills, and I found a couple of uh, interesting books for her. And one of the books kind of went over like like basic computer science stuff. Mm -hmm. More than basic, actually. Like, I would say it gives you an intro into like up to like mid-level concepts. And I was at the bookstore over the weekend and I saw another, I think it might have been another Head First book. And it was like on like Head First, it was called something like The Secret Life of Programs. (laughs) <laughs> yes the secret life of programs and, and i flipped through it and it was like wow it was pretty cool because it talked about like you know logic gates and, and and where everything you use come from and i think you know like if you're self-taught or if you're a long time out of college and retraining yourself and all that stuff you know there you, you don't have to like dive into like your old college computer architecture book Mm -hmm. for it to click back in your head right you can just go pick up any book and just refresh your memory if you have junior people that's popping up on your team that you know you hire you know not only should you teach them the high level development tools but you know somehow find you know do like little friday sessions to deep dive into some of the underlying hardware concepts and it's also important for both software devs, operations, DevOps, systems engineers, whatever your role is. I think that's super important. And I think that's one of the things I still credit Jim Rubel with is like kind of instilling that sense of learning mm-hmm. in us from our days all working together.
2: You know,
0: there's um... so you used whimsical earlier and I feel like at least with my my daughters, you know, they're both young, but whatever. But they're like, oh, yeah, my the TV gets internet or whatever. Like, it's all an opaque concept to them. Or like, um, the internet's out, right? And I'm like, look, this is all magic working right now. This stuff is going over the airwaves. Yeah. You can't see it, yeah. and it's sending a signal from this little box up here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like... Um, the news and whatnot says like, oh, this is all magic. Like, um, I'm saying news is like some broad sweeping thing here, right? Mm-hmm. But they're all like, this is, it's a magical concept. And I feel like when I learned it, it was actually more magical. Like how the how do we figure this stuff out? Like who who's yeah. like, Yeah, here's my AND gate, here's my or gate. Now I'm gonna make a yeah. new or, like who put all that together? Um Yeah then, you
1: know, no. I mean You got to hand it to everybody that came before us. Like, they did amazing work. And I rarely complain about technology. You know, like, I'm like, for me, this is the future. I'm like, I can video chat my mom when I'm on vacation in Iceland. Mm -hmm. This is the future. Like... I'm like, I'm happy (laughs) (laughs) because like this is like everything they told me I would get. Sure, some of it came later, but like, I'm happy. I'm like, you know, sure, Apple's got some keyboard issues they got to (laughs) figure out. But you're telling me that other than a weird keyboard or a broken keyboard, I, I'm walking around with a supercomputer in my backpack and you want me to complain because the keyboard doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I love it all still. Like it's, it's the future. It's great. I'm doing things I only ever dreamt of. And, of course, it's not perfect, right? Because it's still built by humans. Mm-hmm. If, if we knew how to write bug-free programs and design bug-free hardware, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? right? So we should all be happy because bugs give us jobs. But at the same time, it's all built by humans. You write bugs. I write bugs. I'm sure I write more bugs than you do. We all write bugs. So, like... Listen, when you're perfect, then you can start complaining about everybody else, man. I'm, I'm sorry. And, and, you know, I, I tell this to people all the time. I'm like, we barely understand how to write computer programs right now. We're still arguing about the best way to write computer programs. Nobody argues about the best way to do addition, multiplication, calculus you know nobody argues about those things those are like settled right (laughs) but writing computer programs we don't know how to do it yet so you know like (laughs) we're all still learning and i think we could all do it a little bit of humility a little bit of humbleness a little bit of understanding especially from like the people that use the stuff we develop right just like It's not perfect we're not perfect nobody's perfect just try to make it as best as you can Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which you know it's just 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 do it good you know and and, and have some respect for your users which you know i I got super mad about this boeing thing right where a bunch Mm -hmm. of people lost their lives for no good reason and i got super mad about that because aircraft people aviation people they know about safety right they know like if like they know about safety Mm -hmm. and for this boeing thing to happen because people did stupid shit i I want people to go to jail (laughs) i feel that in this particular case somebody should if we send people to jail because vw cheated on emission scandals why isn't somebody gonna go to jail over boeing like that right so i think you know ethics and doing the right thing is something we should we should all like discover learn (laughs) refresh our memories on and um Not only for like safety critical systems like aircrafts, but you know, yay AI and machine learning, right?
0: Right. Yes. Like,
1: um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a black male. (laughs) Yeah, I know. it's, It's shocking. And, you know, we tend to suffer some discrimination in America and surprisingly, As much as some individuals would like to believe that computers don't see color, unfortunately, the data you feed into the computer has a lot of freaking color in it. And, you know, I think now we're starting to see some of it, but we're barely scratching like the tip Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of that iceberg too, right? It's like... In the criminal justice system, we're noticing racist programs and algorithms in the healthcare, and it's it's gonna be an interesting couple of years until we come to terms with that the machines are not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so and
0: it's gonna be a weird period. But I feel like the amount of, um, I'm not sure how much is journalism versus research, but the biases that it's outright uncovering and the way people are reporting on it seems to be helping granted. I'm like in an echo chamber of this stuff, but like they're saying we have done this multiple times now, here's the racist Microsoft bot. Here's the other one. And we're, I, Oh, and the, the what do you call them, the hiring platforms that they have that are inherently gender biased and other things, they are exposing the problems. And it's um, it, there's been a few people who I've had the conversation with where they're like, well, if you do this, this, and this, it's going to be fine. No, because even the software we use is is biased. And it shows us the bias that fed into it and how you have to counteract it. So like the training programs you go through are not useless. They are made to try to counteract this stuff and if the software is doing what the human does, you know there's a problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think people don't realize the software does what you tell it to do. The software is based on making decisions based on the historical data you feed into that. So any kind of historical inequities, injustice that's already entrenched in your society or the record that your society produces, whether it's criminal justice records, healthcare records, education records, records for what people watch on TV, what get produced for TV, all those biases and, and injustices are are encoded in all that data and I think a lot of people get defensive because you know we, we it sounds like we're saying that programmers are racist, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying that the necessarily, necessarily, <laughs> that the people that write this these systems are intentionally racist or biased. But when this is pointed out to you, if you choose to ignore it, right now you're either being willfully ignorant, you're displaying a lack of empathy, or you might just be racist, you know, but at, at the best case, I'm going to say you're just displaying a lack of empathy. And in the worst, you're, you're just willfully being racist, sexist, homophobic, or biased in, in some way, willfully, right? Because you have to take corrective action. And I think it would also do us well to figure out how we as engineers can start saying this is wrong and this is no and start saying no.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because this is just a start. Like, I- I've been watching like Black Mirror and <laughs> oh. <laughs> like like, I like the future I have, right? It's great. Like, I'm not, you know, but like, the future in Black Mirror,
2: I'm like... <sighs>
1: Well, you know, I'll probably be gone by then. But
0: (laughs) (laughs) Still, someone has to live through it.
1: Someone has to live through it. And I I, I feel, I, I, I think I retweeted something on Twitter about, can you like have capitalism without oppression and bias and racism? And I'm like, Probably not if it's like fully unregulated, unmanaged capitalism, right? I think, listen, everything needs to be modulated in some way, shape, or form. Even the stuff that's good for you has to be modulated, right? Like, there's nothing we do as humans that we can do infinitely or unlimited even if it's good for you there's like i can't think of anything that we do as humans that you can just do unmoderated right like so why should our kind of uh economic model not be moderated too right like Mm -hmm. you know so anyway we digress from the tech, but I, I, I think I know I say we digress, but we we don't really digress, right? Because a lot of technologists believe that technology solves it. All, right. You know, and that you don't have to worry about the social sciences, which is not
2: true. Right.
1: The social sciences have already figured out these problems that we're like, who would have seen that coming? social scientists
2: would
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a there's another thing with the ethics there um, and this one was actually exposed by one of our, our friends Jeremy um, he gave a talk at abstractions 2 this year where he discussed an accidental um, I don't know a good way to phrase it like he did harm to his users uh, mm-hmm. completely unintentionally but um, the way it works with this is a, a subdivision inside of Uber, the autonomous cars, and to train their applications, um, I know they outsource the application so people can like trace what the maps are, um, you know, try to identify uh-huh. like light post, trash can, things like that. Uh-huh. And it's outsourced to Venezuela primarily, and they pay them uh-huh. um, pennies per per image that they scan, and. The, the gist of it is that every time the Rails pipeline would rebundle um, like a, a build, the p- asset pipeline would say, here's a brand new CSS package, even if nothing changed. So it would always do cache busting. And they were shipping out megabytes of CSS. And up until one of their users... Complained about it and gave them the math that said, "I am technically losing money now because I pay per megabyte in Venezuela for my data plan.
2: Oh, I am losing no. money doing this work for you."
0: Um, which, like, you know, Jeremy, right. this, this hit home yes. for him.
1: This hit home for him. Yeah. yeah,
0: he had a he had a rough time with it, and he uh, sat there. And even though he's the engineering manager, this became like his project. Like he had to fix right. this. He, he got to it down it. to a nice small cash build of like yeah very few kilobytes it's yeah like, hey i'm sorry can this do better for you and like yeah. corrected that yeah uh, yeah because you know like we're just we're writing software everything's fun yeah. we have modern fun, conveniences right? with unlimited compute power and all this other stuff and you yeah. just forget that not everybody has good internet connection
1: has good internet yeah yeah and this comes back around to the optimization thing we we're talking about earlier. i know back then we we're talking about like optimizing your cloud compute but optimizing your software software eventually translates into energy Mm -hmm. it it does because it has to run on a computer right and if you're talking about the internet age internet connected software's energy and bandwidth and in america sure those things whether or not we like to admit it especially on the energy front we have cheap energy here because somebody's getting screwed over somewhere else right Mm -hmm. it's not a comfortable thought right like i'm sitting here talking to you paying whatever i pay for my heat and electricity at some cheap cost because either in america there is some community dealing with the costs of fracking so that i can get cheap natural gas to run my heater or somewhere somebody is dealing with conflict caused by exploitation for oil or some other metal that's in my futuristic MacBook, which I'm never <laughs> giving up. I know that probably makes me a bad person, but no. But no, but seriously, right? We, we really have to think about optimization in all of those terms. And software optimization is, is also very, very important because if you can make your software run faster on the same hardware, then you're talking about less exploitation to find minerals and materials to make faster and faster computers or find materials that can, you know, absorb the heat that the faster computers produce. So it it really does have like a downstream effect on your fellow humans and it's it's difficult for a lot of us to to see that because we're so far removed from it, right? Nobody's mining tantalum or cobalt or nickel or neobidium, <laughs> if I said that right, in somebody's backyard here in America, right? That's just not a thing. And the little bit that we do mine here, mine here, is like way out there and you don't even notice it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not gonna contaminate your water. Unless you happen to be un- underprivileged, poor minority, right? But still, you know, generally speaking, you know, it's not going to contaminate your water. So we don't think about it. But I guarantee you, for every computer we buy in America, some person or fraction of a person of the other nine billion people on this planet has suffered something for that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a tough thought that we all have to live with, but it's, it's the truth, right? And so optimization is not just some pie in the sky thing to make it run faster because it makes you feel good. It can have real human consequences when you extrapolate it out to all the computers and all the devices. Mm-hmm. running on the planet and and don't even get me started on the internet of things right like <laughs> why why in bob's name do we need internet connected light bulbs mm-hmm. like we don't like we don't right and, and and a lot of these widgets that are just hanging around selling five bucks you think that thing really costs five bucks doesn't you only pay five bucks it costs somebody A lot more, Mm -hmm. right? And not necessarily in money, but, like, in extracted resource, right? So, like, the Internet of Things, I'm like, I I don't know, man. Internet-connected light switch? Internet-connected light bulb? First world, right? It's first world,
0: but it causes worse problems, too, because they contribute to, like, the largest nets of
1: destructive compute power out there. Yes! Of course right because the software of them is crappy too so but yeah you know i think we really have to consider like I, I remember i saw a twitter tweet a tweet from somebody that had wired up their whole house and then they lost internet and they never thought about how they would turn on the lights if their internet connection went down and i'm like is that right there like you, you replace a simple thing, which is the light switch on the wall
2: mm-hmm.
1: with an app, which requires a smartphone, which requires an internet connection, which requires somebody's cloud server to come back down to your thing, to go to your light bulb. Like, <clears throat>
0: Boy, that's I, not I a believe- metaphor for <clears throat> all computing right there.
1: <clears throat> yeah. 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 And you know, so I, I think, you know, optimization super important and, um, you know, cryptocurrencies, bitcoins, oh. <laughs> completely unethical when you think about it, especially Bitcoin, right? The whole proof of work thing. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know much, obviously, about cryptocurrencies. And I know, like, the whole mining, anything that requires, like, con- hold on, this is mining. I'm going to convert electricity into bits that I can't really use to buy food to eat. But privileged people can hold on to these things and make a fake market and then cash out at the expense of the poor communities that are suffering environmental destruction so that they can mine. Like, if there wasn't anything that, like, encapsulated the inequities (laughs) and, and just overall BS in this whole tech finance complex, I'm going to say that cryptocurrencies really is like a reflection of everything that's bad. Especially, let me not say cryptocurrencies, but like cryptocurrencies that encourage or rely on mining, mm-hmm. right? Like that whole mining thing, like if you want me to support your cryptocurrency, like it, there there should be like no point to mining it, mm-hmm. right? Just like nothing, like, you, just, you can't make money by mining it. You can't make it by mining it. And, and when you show me something like that, then, okay, we can talk. Right. But if mining is a thing, no. Like, imagine what happened to all those video cards that people, like, bought, which now they either aren't using anymore because they're not fast enough, or they, like, just bought new ones, like, what happened to all that e-waste?
0: Yep, yep. <laughs> I think um, what would be an interesting thing? Mostly, uh, so when I was in college, code folding was a thing. So the human genome, yes, kind of stuff, yes, yeah. Yes. And one of the students had admin access to our computer lab, and he installed it on all of his things so he could get a higher ranking or something. Mm -hmm. And the day after we had class and when you walked in, it was 20 to 30 degrees hotter in the room. Hotter. Everyone's sweating. There is a physical representation of what's happening there while I was sitting idling, which is now 100% maxed out peg compute. Mm -hmm. And like if you give somebody who's doing data mining and set them in a room like that, but in like maybe the data center (laughs) and just shut off the cooling a little bit. I think that would be a good lesson, in, like this is the physical yeah. impact on the planet this that you have. Physical
1: impact, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when when you talk about like SETI at home and protein folding at home, those things actually have value, right? Right, they protein do something. folding they do something, right? But and and as as we talk about like optimizations, you know. I'm now working a lot on Kubernetes and I've I've you know, I I when we worked together, Kubernetes and Docker and containers were just coming out.
2: And I know that
1: yeah, there were little babies back then. And I know that we looked at it and I'm like, wait a minute. Just the minimum size of this cluster is gonna be like more than what I need to run production without it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i don't i don't i don't know i don't i don't think that's a good that's a good that's a good trade-off right right? so i mean you know what a kubernetes it's it's a it's a very interesting platform it solves certain problems extremely well it's bad at other things uh if you're bought into microservices and container you should definitely look at it but if you've got like you know you're just doing uh your your side project and you're spinning up your first rails app or something or your business is just getting bootstrapped it might not be the right thing for you to dive in to you know and I know as, as tech people we always want to like jump at the hotness right mm-hmm. the new cool thing and I'm not gonna lie it's freaking cool it is <laughs> right it is it is cool but it's a resource sink right it's a time sink from your engineering it takes a lot of planning and work to get right, it uses up more compute resource. But at the same time, if you're of a certain scale, it will help you optimize your compute resource because now you can bin pack and put multiple apps across the same set of machines, whereas before you might have dedicated EC2 boxes or whatever you use. So, but I think all those things, you have to know when your scale is right for something like that. And when the benefits outweigh what you're gonna put into it, and not simply from the point of Oh, yay, now I don't have to worry about bugging my ops people, I can just write my own YAML. That's not a good enough reason for all the overhead that that it takes, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it, you know, because it it just takes more. Um, And then You know, the other thing to realize is, it it goes back to our initial conversation where we're talking about, it would be good for people to understand that there's a computer back there. When you write that YAML, that YAML runs on those clusters. And whereas, you know, when you hop on an EC2 or a virtual machine, you know, you go, yeah, Amazon's got a box back there running this. When you set up a Kubernetes cluster, you're kind of configuring a whole data center. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like a whole data center. You have to configure your control plane, your routing, your switching, your load balancing, your security, your everything. And, you know, when you think about it in like a traditional environment, you'd have entire teams dedicated to some of those functions you know, a lot of places start implementing Kubernetes and it's like, all right, yeah, you all, you, you go spin it up. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, um, but if we were building a data center, I would have a security team and a networking team and a this team. And, and now you're telling me that because it's all YAML, I should just go do it myself. Mm-hmm. But sure, it's all YAML, but the concepts are the important things right it's not how you configure it it's really the knowledge involved in understanding the concepts and the separate domains that that you really need right because you're a good programmer right you whether you're programming functionally imperative object oriented whatever or rust to see Those concepts of writing a program is what's important, right? And it's the same thing. It's the concept of building infrastructure that are important. How you build it is syntax almost, right? But to build it right, you need to understand all those concepts. And it's impractical to expect, you know, a software engineer to, like, now have to, like, understand all these additional concepts not not because it's now codified in software means you
2: know mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so like I, I think we should also think about a lot of those things from like a resource and resource utilization, both compute, people, knowledge, and just you know how we use and apply technology to solve solve our problems.
0: I think, um, assuming you're not busy next week or something, I think we should have a whole thing on that and, uh, <laughs> just like the things that engineers should know when they're trying to operate their own services. Yeah. Um, cause that would be an excellent topic and that one can go for a while.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no,
1: we could definitely, we could definitely talk about that. I take my beauty to impart knowledge, very seriously. I, I train my team at work. I train people I meet, I pass knowledge on. I want to because, let's face it, I'm not going to be here forever. None of us are going to be here forever. And if I want systems to get better over time, I, I have to talk to people and share and tell them what i know what i learn what i think is good what i think is bad that way they can combine that with the condensed knowledge of other experienced people when they're thinking about building the next generation or whatever comes after kubernetes right when they're thinking mm-hmm. about building kubernetes version x right like what are we gonna fix so. right
0: um <laughs> Because people need to know who you are. Who are you?
1: Oh. Hi. My name's Andre Henry. I am a systems engineer. That's what I go by these days. But I've been a software engineer, network engineer, embedded systems engineer. Um I've done almost every job in tech, <laughs> like from programming to sysadmin. You know, and I'm just, like, a tinkerer at heart, too. I I tinker with programming languages. I tinker with electronics. I tinker with lasers, robots, lots of stuff. I think the one commonality across everything is just that I love to learn new things, and I love knowledge. Um, you know, right now, I'm a systems engineer at Venmo. Uh before that, I worked with Matt at a company called TTM in Pittsburgh. We did math education software, and I spent uh, the bulk of my career. I spent working on uh, healthcare information systems, specifically around medical imaging and teleradiology and digital pathology. I was in that space for a good ten plus years, uh, mostly working on hardware and software to acquire distribute and process images and like always because i always want to learn i always try to understand not just what i'm supposed to be doing but what the whole product is supposed to be doing and what the software does uh and just like you know like i got super into like know what the image scientists were working on because i realized that if i understood the kind of algorithms they were writing and the kind of processing power they needed i could better suggest hardware and software to uh to help them out i remember one project where one of the image scientists was struggling with uh optimizing a piece of code um and i was like you have you looked at the uh, intel math kernel libraries and we had a chat about it and i showed it to him because we already had like a license for the intel compiler and i was like you should be able to use the math kernel libraries either it was the math kernel libraries or the media libraries that they had to do like JPEG or MPEG conversion. It was something like that where Intel had optimized libraries. And he was like, oh, wow. And the next day I came in and he was like, oh my gosh, like this is so much faster. (laughs) And it's like using so much less resources. So, you know, I, I try to learn a little bit about a lot of things And I also think it's because I think it's very important to know what the computer can do for you, right? What can computer and software do for you? Because knowing how to do it is just going and reading the docs, in my opinion. But knowing what it can do for you is a much more difficult task because there's so much, so much it can do for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And... That's kind of me in a nutshell. Nice. I will
0: have to find a way to transpose this into the beginning of the episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: or I'll just leave this gem for people to find. Yeah, like what the hell happened?
1: Yes. <laughs> Wait, this is like the weirdest podcast I've ever listened to. Like two dudes just started to talk and I don't know who they are. Uh-uh.
0: They oh. will they will figure out how lazy I've gotten in my podcast editing. <laughs> What's the other thing I have to end with? Oh, right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bitsandtrees.com. Forgot what my URL was. See, I'm not a professional, Andre. (laughs) Like earlier, when you're like, you're a good programmer, right? I'm like, I am a programmer.